great. So I have a great panel here, and I'd like to just sort of have everyone introduce themselves and tell us a little bit um, about yourselves. Daniel, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, my name is Daniel Worland. I do three things. I uh, am a college professor, uh, teach music production and audio engineering for about the past 15 years. I, uh, which is great for me because it kind of helps me keep my ear to the ground of the pain points of young creators that inform some of the other work that I do. I'm a cre I come from the creative side of the music industry. I'm not a developer. I'm not a data scientist or anything like that. So, you know, prepare yourselves. But uh, yeah, I came up working with Nine Inch Nails, uh, with Trent Reznor and, and people like that, which kind of inform my use of artificial intelligence and generative things. And, uh, you know, I worked on John Wick, the film that was here. I still do a lot of creative stuff. And lastly, I'm the head of strategy and partnerships at Lander, um, and also co-founder of a company called Audio Tool, both of which are kind of out there to widen the funnel of new creators, put out AI-powered products to kind of help people create and finish music and go start all over again. So I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Hi, my name is Danny Deal. Thank you so much, everyone, first of all, for coming out this early with the ominous weather outside. It's great to see everyone here. Uh, like Daniel, I am a multi-hyphenate. I am a DJ and a producer in electronic music. And uh, one of the things I think has made me so interested in AI is my background in electronic music. People in our genre historically have been early adopters of all sorts of tech. Uh, I also, for a period of time, was the person who led coverage of the intersection of music and tech at The Verge. And then uh, currently, I am the head of communications and creator insights at BandLab, which is a cross-platform, free-to-use uh, DAW, um, samples library, a uh, way to collaborate with other people, anything you could possibly think of when it comes to music production. And crucially, we have a tool called Song Starter, which is an artificial intelligence that will produce a number of outcomes for you based upon lyrics that you give it, uh, a prompt for a style of genre, or even a few emojis. So thanks for having me. And uh, hi, I'm Michael Turbo. Um, I'm at SUNY CSL. That stands for SUNY Computer Science Laboratories. I joined SUNY CSL three years ago um, because they were starting to have text that was uh, tech that was working. And since I had uh, 16 years in the music industry, I'm trying to be the interface between uh, the science and the business aspect or the artistic aspect. Uh, because as you all know, uh, in AI, there's a lot of ethical and legal and IP concerns. So we are really trying to, to find a way to, to work with artists, mainly Sony artists, if we can. Um, so yeah, so I'm really trying to be the interface between the scientific thoughts and tools and uh, the artist or the business people. And uh, I, I'm a music and media attorney. Um, I look after rights and contractual matters for uh, clients. TikTok uh, is a client, um, the estate of Curtis Mayfield. I handled the Bob Marley estate music matters for several years and uh, just a lot of um, interesting work uh, with uh, creatives and the companies uh, around creative uh, people and music content. And I also write about, I've written about AI music in the Atlantic as well as Forbes. Uh, and uh, so keep myself pretty busy. So I'm really happy to have this great panel and uh, we're gonna get started here. Uh, uh, on what is a life-changing song? Um, so Leonard, Leonard Cohen wrote Hallelujah, uh, which was a life-changing song to some, and it took him like three years, and, it, and he said that he was at one point uh, at the Chelsea Hotel in his underwear banging his head against the floor to get a verse out. Uh, so he did uh, suffer quite a bit uh, to get that, that life-changing song out. Let's see how G Chat GPT suffers to write a life-changing song here. So we'll ask it... Uh, to create a life-changing song, uh, see what comes up. I don't know if you can see it in the back there or read it, but here it, here it goes. <clears throat> kind of cringy, a little cliched. Um, keeps on going, <laughs> but it's very impressive. It 
So anyone's life changed? No. <laughs> what I, you know, it's, it's talk about like paying your dues, and Nick Cave wrote an article as well about, you know, the, that it does take some, some experience, life experience, um, and paying of dues. Doesn't seem like there's any dues being paid here, but we can talk a little bit about the dues that are being paid by the investors, for example, in, in OpenAI, uh, companies like Microsoft that have a big stake in that are paying an enormous amount of dues, actually. It's quite expensive. Uh, the, the GPUs, uh, so I read about 10,000 GPUs are required for the training and inferencing or, or actual running of this, and that's just in beta. It's going to ramp up quite a bit. A lot of chips are being sold, so it's a, it's a very enormously expensive undertaking. Anyone on the panel want to talk a little bit about the dues that are being paid in, uh, in the back end that we're not really aware of for this uh, technology. No, okay, we'll move on to the next one. So this next one we're gonna do is uh, the same thing, a life-changing song, but in the style of Lou Reed. So let's see what it comes up with here. Oh, okay, it's thinking. Right. Or shooting heroin, I don't know. But, uh, So you see where it says a couple times, take a walk on the wild side. And I, I generated this a few times, and it, about every other time it had take a walk on the wild side, which may be copyright infringement. Um, you know, it could be a fair use. I mean, if it's a clever or sardonic quote, like in a jazz solo, if a jazz musician quotes Charlie Parker or something, that's fair use. Uh, I don't know if this, if this computer is really being sardonic or... Um, <laughs> in that way, but anyway, uh, it may be a copyright infringement. A lot of uh, AI, when it's using uh, voice, voice sound-alikes, it's not only copyright, but it's trademark and, and uh, right of publicity, name and likeness uh, rights that come up. So these are things that we'll be uh, probably seeing more of in the courts uh, as we go along here. Um, Anybody want to pick up on that at all? Did, well, did you want to? I just wanted to introduce to the conversation. Are you loud enough? Can, can you hear her? I know. I always have this problem. Speaking of the courts, it's probably worth mentioning a document that was published today, which makes oh. this conversation even more important. Yes. So they're, they're, today, the U.S. Copyright Office issued its official guidance on AI music after a case uh, uh, involving a graphic novel uh, author named Chris uh, Kashtanova, um, Daria of the of, of the Dawn, Daria of the Dawn, and uh, she used a um, AI to come up with the illustrations, and the, the court said, "No, you just um, you can't do that." And so it's not that's not copyrightable. And so today, for clarification, the, the, the Copyright Office came out with this guidance and they said, um, essentially, no, you know, copyright is created for the protection of humans. Actually, copyright law, the purpose of it is really to ultimately to generate a robust communication of, <clears throat> in society or a robust flow of, of ideas and creative output for society. And the way they do that is to create uh, incentives uh, for creators to make a living at it. So that's that's part of their. Uh, they don't think that AI needs to be protected. Um, and one of the things that the that the um, this guidance co uh, cites a case, a really interesting case involving a guy who who uh, involving non-human authors. And this one was a um, a case involving uh, somebody who claimed that he was channeling a divine alien and he was writing a book and it was all just, it wasn't him, it was channeled from a divine alien and then somebody stole the book and published it and he sued him for copyright infringement. The court said, uh, wait a minute, you just said you didn't write that. Um, bring the alien into court. Maybe the alien will have standing. Uh, you don't. Question is, would the alien have to hire an attorney, uh, the divine alien, and, and how would they pay the attorney? Would it be Starbucks? Yeah. Or maybe it would be some kind of galactic currency. Um, the, but the Copyright Office says if the AI uh, decides, the, the Copyright Office got kind of into the details, and I was impressed with that. Uh, they said if, if 
the AI will decide the rhyming pattern, the words in each line, the structure of the text, then it's not copyrightable. So this stuff that we saw is not copyrightable. But if a human selects or arranges AI-generated material in a sufficiently creative way, then copyright law will protect it, but only the human-authored aspects of the work, which are independent of and not affect and don't affect the AI-generated material itself. So I'd, I'd like to ask you guys, how does that impact, you know, it, it's this kind of a decision and the idea that you can't get a copyright on this output, how does it impact business models that depend on copyright monetization? Um, like, I know, Daniel, that your, your company was pioneer in AI mastering, okay? So mastering uh, is, has also been determined not to be sufficiently um, creative to be sort of a human, um, uh, something copyrightable. But how, so how does it, but how does it affect you, that, that model? Would you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, luckily for company, companies like us, for Dolby I.O., for Master Channel, these guys, it doesn't really, at least at this point, affect us, right? Because from anybody that doesn't know, right, mastering is kind of the polishing uh, of, of the final version, the final mix of a song, right? So we're not getting in early at the, the generation of the actual IP. Though when, when Lander came out like nine years ago, people were, you know, I was kind of the audio engineer that crossed the, the line and went over and worked with them and people were like throwing stones at me for years about that because it was like blasphemy that AI was being involved in the music production process because it really hadn't been done that way at scale. But that's somewhat diminished over the years. But as AI, and this is what we're talking about today, has crept earlier and earlier into the creation process right up to the point of the generation of the idea, yeah, the target's off our back now because this is the stuff that people are concerned about, and, and rightfully so. Anyone else? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the question is: Is, is this going to kill some business models that are there? I think it, these some companies... business models will adapt. I think BandLab is certainly an example of a business model that has adapted to the needs of today's creators. There's a reason why our tool is called Song Starter and not Song Finisher. Right. <laughs> it has a lot of boundaries around it to make sure that what you're given is truly a starting place. It gives you a few bars of MIDI and. Right. That's something that then the creator can take and assign different instruments to it. They can build upon it. They could trash it, uh, remix it, do whatever they want. But it's really just the spark of an idea that you can then build upon. And as someone that comes from a background of dance music, this feels, to me, not so different from starting with the stems where I have to do a remix or going to splice and getting a couple of loops that then serve as the foundation for me to go and turn it into something completely new and different. And I think that uh, in one case, it's for illustrative music or functional music. I know that there's a lot of discussion about how could we put some music on, on TVs or on films without paying copyright. And I think that if there's one business model that is going to be disrupted in the next couple of years, is it is this illustrative music, so not promoted or marketed as artistic music. But the, and this is a very big business model, and it's apparently going to be disrupted soon if you can make autonomous music without copyright. Right. Wow. Um, yeah, I think people are starting to get that, that AI-generated music is not life-changing uh, in and of itself, but there are tools there that could create life-changing music. And we're going to get into that later. And uh, Danny, you mentioned uh, BandLab uh, uh, start, Song Starter. We'll have a clip a little later on showing that and also what Sony is doing as well. And uh, so let's, let's move on to another slide. Um, Okay, this one is, um, we have, this was something that uh, Google put up, and this is an example, a sample of something that they, they have a, a, a verbal prompt, and they ask it to create something uh, musical around that. And these photos are from Dali as well, using the same prompt. So let's see what this sounds like, being lost in space.
So it's, does that sound lost in space? It sounds like lost in, in space, uh, in, in club space, or, or in Hakkasan, or in a dance club or something, but lost in space. Um, let's, there was a show called Lost in Space. Maybe uh, most of you, did, some of you remember that. Let's see what John Williams did with that. I would say uh, humans one, robots zero. I don't know. What, what do you think? Um, but then, interestingly, John, there was a remake of it, and uh, John Williams also uh, created that one. Take a look at that. That's a few years ago, back in 2016 or something. This one is not working now. Oh, there we go. Okay. To me, that's not lost in space either. That's lost in chariots of fire or something like that, to me. What do you guys think? Agreed, yeah. Um, so we take back, is it now z even playing field, zero, zero, or we keep it? Anyway. Um, yeah, go ahead. Interestingly, how many people in this room have been to space? Right? Exactly. None, none of us have. So it but could be lost. Right. That could be. Space is just right. a huge dance club. <laughs> right? Space Whoa. is a huge dance club in Miami. It's nice. definitely possible to get lost there. But we're going to talk now about, we've been sort of cutting down, as, as many people are, the AI output as not really being authentic. And Nick Cave wrote a, a really compelling piece on it and others. Uh, but let's talk about how AI can be helpful. Shall we? So we'll, we're going to look at this as a clip from the 80s, uh, Quincy Jones and Herbie Hancock talking about it. Let's hear what they have to say. So anybody want to, would, would you like to talk about that, it's Mike? It's quite funny, this video, because uh, it's actually the video I show. Uh, it's the first video I show when I do any presentations to any people from the music industry or to artists. Because like for us, it's a joke, all the fear about AI and how it's going to modify the, 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 the creativity. It's just a tool. It's exactly what's a, a, Herbie is saying. And when you look at that with the sampler, with the synthesizer, with the theremin, even with the paper and the pen that invented polyphonia, everybody was always scared about technology and the impact on creativity, but like it's always an ongoing story. Um, it's always disrupting. People fear at the beginning and after they find it incredible. And, uh, and, and we are at this stage now where there are a lot of uh, legal problems and even ethical problems about AI and the impact of AI. Like, as he says, it's just a tool. And when people understand that, they want to work with us. And so, yeah, it's an important video. I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I think a lot of folks look at AI as this big, scary, amorphous thing in the background that they don't understand and is, is basically impending doom. But to, to what you're saying, we have to take a step back and realize that every new technology was preceded by an old technology that we were all pretty scared of. And at one point, the guitar was a technology, and piano was a technology. And we've moved through iterations of technology over the course of humanity and have come out on the other side better for it and have been able to adapt and incorporate these tools to create new, wonderful ideas and genres and entire movements that would have not existed had it not been for these technologies. Uh, as recently as 1979, we were seeing people scared of synthesizers. We've seen people scared of drum machines. Now we're just seeing people scared of artificial intelligence. And I think truly in the next 10 or 15 years, we'll simply view it as part of the process and there will be amazing outcomes that are a result of it that we could have never even imagined. 
Yeah, I mean, take the drum machine example, right? There was a fear at one point where drummers wouldn't exist anymore, right? Which, of course, didn't happen, right? There's still drummers. They use drum machines. There's people who get introduced to drums through drum machines and become drummers. The same thing, to flip it to the lander side of things, the big fear, you know, almost a decade ago was that there wouldn't be mastering engineers anymore because mastering was going to be automated, which has not totally not been the case, right? That industry is as, is as big as it ever was. I'm a mastering engineer myself, and I do more work now than I ever have. But what it did is it opened up the funnel for people to learn about what mastering was, to, you know, to make their music sound better when they didn't have the money or the skills you know, to either hire an engineer or do it themselves. And they, they continue to level up and build a career where they could go hire an engineer, right? Or they could you know, put in the 10,000 hours to be good at it. So it really just brought more people into making music um, and a percentage of them progressed on to kind of feed into the higher levels of the industry. And that's what a lot of this stuff does. It kind of, again, widens the funnel for people to choose music mm-hmm. as, as kind of their chosen art form. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. Tools like Lander allow people to see what is possible for themselves, right? right? The same way that Songstarter same with thing. BandLab allows people who don't have a musical background could envision themselves being creative in a field that seems completely foreign to them. And in fact, we've seen at BandLab that people who start with Songstarter are actually 80% more likely to publish a finished track versus them coming into BandLab versus any other entry point. So we're actually seeing it being a tool that bolsters creativity and enables more people to make music. Yeah, and this is where the generative versus assistive sort of thing comes in. It's like, if, if you think of AI through the lens of help me get a song started or help me finish my song or help me along the way kind of as a pseudo collaborator to flesh out an idea that is really going to be inherently mine, right? That's one thing. Tools that are literally there for if you're, you're somebody who works in advertising where you, instead of hiring a composer or going to production music library, you can hit a button and just generate a piece of music and you're done, that's kind of a different thing. And there's companies that are addressing both sides of that, right? But that's kind of where, I think that's the more, the, the fully generative side of things is what's a little bit more controversial, yeah. So, yeah, talk, go ahead. Sorry. One thing about the impact, there's always this funny uh, thing, like I was talking from a, a, f- a publisher, and we were talking about the drum machine and the fact that the drum machine replaced drummers, and he looked at me uh, smiling and said, no, drum machine didn't replace drummers, it replaced bad drummers. Bad drummers. And, and, and so, so, yeah, it will have an impact, and jobs will change, and, and we will not less need, but it, it is what it is. And it also helped launch new, completely new genres of music, yeah. right? So it's, it's not even the replacing bad drummers, which, that's awesome. But people, I mean... We're able to use it to, to create things that would have not existed otherwise if the drum machine wasn't around. I mean, you can look to that. You can look to the repurposing of turntables. You can look to all of these things where we've taken technology and either spun it in a different way or, or yeah, used it in a way to create Yeah, music. EDM and hip-hop specifically would have not existed today were it not for these sorts of technologies. And it's even introduced new forms of performance, finger drumming, right, mm-hmm. as a result of drum machines, turntablism. But it's... it's- so, but there are fears, and you know, among musicians, and it reminds me of uh, the famous quote from Martin Niemöller, in uh, who in, was a cleric in Nazi Germany, and was one that said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out; I was not a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out. And you, you hear uh, first that with the drum machines, the drummers are up in arms. Then you have the synth and the horn players and the string players uh, are, are afraid they're going to lose and, and did lose their gigs, a lot of gigs. Um, and then you have uh, the DJ coming along and the synth players are up in arms. And then you have a story of uh, a club in Miami that had a robot DJ and you had this just storm of DJs railing against it. How can a robot read a room? Come on. I mean, robots are, are not able to, to perform that function. So it is uh, some fears, and some of them, I think, are, are justified. I mean, you are going to lose some gigs. Uh, like if you use AI, it used to be with a film composer, would uh, many very, very successful film composers really are not able to orchestrate. They call them hummers sometimes. They will hum uh, a score, uh, and then they'll give it to an orchestrator, who will uh, then really do the heavy lifting and create a, a full score. Well, you, you know, with AI, you, that guy may or gal may lose their gig. So there are some fears, uh, but I think it's overall a balance uh, as we go forward. 
Well, let's take a look at the next uh, slide, if it works here. Let's see. That's good. Okay, so this, um, you're going to talk about this after. Yeah, just a minute. I'll take it back here. So this so, is, um, do you want to introduce this one, Michael? This is yeah. from Sony. So, and there's a lot of uh, legal and ethical on how we work, on how we work with data, on how we work with artists. Um, we're not really into the automatic generation, like to generate uh, a, a song autonomously. We are working with artists, and we also have to find tricks because either either we are either uh, we are a Sony company, but we don't have access to Sony Music or Sony Music Publishing uh, data, so we have to find ways. And here, typically, it's um, we were trying to find new ways of being creative to explore a lot of possibilities by playing the piano. So we trained an AI to learn how to play the piano. So we use public domain songs, modern Beethoven, but we only wanted it to be trained to play the piano because we want to make modern uh, music production and composition. But we didn't have access to this uh, modern data because it's illegal to use it. So we trained it on the classical music and we had to find a way to adapt it to modern music. So in this case, you will see, uh, it's a project that we did in Tokyo. It was played in a, in a, in a big concert. Um, You'll see it's instant, so you play the piano, and let's say that you want to change some notes, you erase them, and you ask the AI to see what happened before and after, and by in the context, try to change the content by something that is, is coherent, not, it could be good or bad, but it's technically working, and you'll see we did this with Mozart, and the video is quite self-explanatory. Okay, here we go. Here we will select what we want to change. We'll delete it, and here the eye looks at what happened before and after, and we'll try to make new propositions. So we're really focusing on the interaction between uh, artists and the machine. And by iteration, by doing questions and answers, at the end you finish with a satisfying result. Even though I did this myself, I don't know how to play the piano. So I actually uh, managed to compose music, to make variations, to make some decisions, to have a final uh, piano composition, either though I'm not a pianist. Yeah. Anyone want to? No, I mean, I'll just in general say that I love what Sony's doing. I've been able to test quite a bit of it out. You know, this, this obviously, some of the sample generation technology, it's super cool. And it's, 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 it's a, I don't want to go off on a tangent necessarily here, but a lot of times when we think about things like this or generative AI, we're thinking about it's composing a song or something like that. But the impact that it has on the samples industry is also super fascinating, right? Where we're, instead of trying to, to complete a song and have that be it, or maybe you make some small iteration on that, the generation of the loops and the drum samples, you know, you know, piano and all that kind of stuff, where you then can take that and iterate upon that and build something out of it is interesting. It's going to disrupt that, actively is disrupting that space as well. Well, let's not forget that already exists within Logic Pro, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> There's an AI drummer in Logic Pro, which is quite useful for people that don't have access to a live drummer. So you can select a persona, a drummer persona, um, say somebody from the 80s or somebody from a grunge band in the 90s and then you can just paint in drums on a track in Logic Pro and it will make sure that every fill is different at the end of every bar, the velocities of all of the hits are different and then you can turn on and off every single drum or hat within the kit. Yeah. 
Apple kind of is a bit hypocritical. They, they, they really don't like AI for a lot of musical-related things, but they, they love it inside of Logic and GarageBand. But I'll point out the difference, the one difference with that is, like, you know, that's the kind of MIDI-based, you know, generative AI, which is awesome. What really becomes fascinating, and this maybe you can speak to this certainly much more than I can, is when we're really just, you know, sculpting samples out of the ether, right? It's not something where we're creating a MIDI note that's triggering an existing sample. It's where we're creating a drum sound that never existed any, you know, where before via diffusion models and things like that. And that's interesting where it effectively is the same thing as mid-journey or dolly or something like that, but for music where you're typing in a prompt and you're getting something. And then using complementary and sample, uh, similarity sample recommendation engines that companies like Splice and Lander and others use, Sononym and things like that, you can then go get other content that is going to fit with that loop that you you know, created out of the ether. And that really gets interesting when you start to look at how people are going to be able to create music. And it's happening now, obviously, but over the next, you know, three to five years where it's not, you know, again, it's helping you actually construct a song based upon what you're thinking in your head with the references that you're pulling in and then helping you build arrangements out, right? So, which is a big struggle for a lot of people. Anyway. And I think crazy with AI also is about the possibility of exploration. Like, since the AI will do all the technical and tedious stuff for like sound designing. Uh, with AI you can actually, and artists love singularity, they want this kick sound that nobody has. And with AI you can actually craft a, a sound yourself without being a sound engineer or understanding other acoustics or things like that. And you can actually, by exploration, find this unique uh, kick sound that nobody has heard of before. And that's quite incredible. And that's a good lead in to the next slide. Uh, yeah, if I can you just... Uh, yeah, let me... Um, so we've been working extensively with artists, and generally people think that uh, there will be one big AI doing songs. Well, can people hear in the back? Yeah, so generally people are scared Break of AI as it's going to be start even more standardization of music. Uh, but finally, when we work with artists and, and they manipulate our tools, it's always funny to see that the result is always completely different, and that's what the artists say to us, that by interacting with an AI, you're the only one who will be interacting that way with an AI, and the results will always be completely different. And so here you will see four different artists who use the exact same tools, and you'll see the difference in, uh, in the sound design, okay. in the, but you have AI everywhere in these songs. Okay. I think you guys So yeah, so different artists, they all use the exact same tools and the results are completely different. And there's always this thing, always funny when I go to Sony Music to have some people from Sony Music listen to the collaboration we had with artists. And they generally look at me and say, I don't understand, it's normal music. Where's the eye? It's just music and that's the best compliment that they could do to us. It's like we're not here, because I don't know what they expect, explosions in the sound or things like that, you know? But yeah, no, it's actually normal music and it has to be manipulated by artists and only artists can manipulate them to get what they want. That's uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's a tool, not a replacement yeah. for the, the artist. Yeah, I use AI every single day and not just with mastering stuff, but with actual composition, right? There's uh, obviously the Sony stuff is amazing. There's a company called IVA, which is probably my favorite tool for like orchestral work, right? Because I'm, I'm, like you said, right? I can come up with great melodies all day long, but I'm not, you know, I have a music degree, but I'm not great at orchestrating at all. So it helps that, you know, so it, you can put in something, it'll orchestrate it for you. You can upload references, you can then tweak it, and you can almost have this bi-directional conversation where you're ending up at a result that's still your idea, but it gets you into a direction you would have never gone in before. Or, 
or a genre that you're not comfortable composing in. And that's where I think that stuff is fascinating because it really kind of expands your, your palette as a, as a producer, as a composer, as an audio engineer, as any of that. And that's, I think when we talk about like the copyright office and what they're looking to do, they're, they're, I don't think they're against that, right? It's the idea that, that that's great. It's when you're really trying to replace the human involvement is, is where the challenges are, hence right. the thing today that came out. So I think the next one is the band lab one. Did you want to, let's, let's see. Yeah, you want to um, introduce it or just yeah. should we jump in? I, don't, I think I could probably just do a quick introduction. Um, just I think to you should hold the mic it, right up. Sure, yeah. It, it's just a 30 second clip. It skims past a lot of, I, I didn't want to do the, the product, the boring product three minute video. So this is a user uh, that shows very quickly how she rolled the dice in Song Starter, picked one of the three outcomes that was given to her, and then uh, fast forward to what she was able to add to that um, and what the end result was. Ready? Yeah, let's go. So I think that's a really good example. Actually, this also brings up another technology, auto-tune. Right? <laughs> that was another uh, technology introduction that scared a lot of folks. But this, this really shows the power of what can happen when you start with an idea. And I, I think this is really powerful, not just for, as I mentioned before, folks that are not uh, musicians already, but for people like her who are a musician, but maybe you just don't want to start with a blank canvas. I mean, how many of us have opened up Ableton or Logic Pro and looked at a blank canvas and thought, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. <laughs> so Song Starter is a really good way to just get a couple of bars of MIDI and then, like she did, change the tempo, change up the instruments, add her own lyrics, and get to completion a lot faster. And also, to what you said, maybe it was not a place where she would have arrived naturally, right? So it opens up a whole lot of options, new avenues for creativity. It also helps you get to the end result faster. So there's, there's a lot of benefits there. That's great. Um, I want to just ask a bit of a philosophical question about the creative process. And you know, the Copyright Office came out with this directive today, and they, they, they were very particular about how there has to be human intention in the creation, in the creative process. But you know, you hear a lot of stories about uh, creators uh, who really were not conscious. One in particular, uh, Bill Evans, uh, again, that story about, you know, he was, uh, my, my client, uh, Creed Taylor, would drive him out, uh, producer, drive him from Manhattan over to Rudy Van Gelder's studio in Englewood Cliffs, famous uh, studio, and, and Bill would shoot up heroin and he would be sitting at the piano, uh, as Creed said, sound asleep, and yet his hands were creating the most incredible, magnificent music, very technically precise, uh, you have that situation. You have um, the song Me and My Uncle, for example, a Grateful Dead song that John Phillips wrote. He doesn't remember writing it. He was in a drunken stupor. Uh, so the question is where did it, so, and, and just generally, the process of kind of coming out with the music is a mysterious one. And I wonder what the panelists think about does the diffusion technology or whatever it is that the AI is, is it mimicking the, is the how does it relate to the mysterious? process of the actual human creation. Well, I think it's interesting that you brought up two examples that involved substances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't all have to be unfortunate experiences. I don't know. that they, can... Should they give credit to the heroine? I don't know. Um, well, Jack Daniels. Copyright well, credit? I'm, what I'm saying is an AI cannot take heroin, essentially. But there's also really wonderful things that we experience as humans that an AI simply cannot participate in. Would the Beatles have made some of their work if they hadn't had that life-changing trip to India? Right? There's all of these things that happen in our day-to-day -day lives that influence what we create in the studio, whether we know about it or we don't. And we can't ship an AI halfway across the world and have it experience local street food and then come out the other side a better AI for it. It's just not going to happen. And so I think there's, there's all of these things that we absorb as humans in life around us as we experience things that inform what happens when we want to be creative. Uh, we don't necessarily draw a direct line between those things, but it is it is what happens. Right. Yeah. No, it's like and and, and um, Mark, if I could actually, did a great panel on AI, AI before, and you, I think it was you or someone brought up the uh, the the uh, case of George Harrison and the chiffons uh, with that copyright infringement, where he didn't remember uh, hearing 
uh, he's so fine, uh, but it was the, not only the verse, but the verse and, and the chorus of uh, My Sweet Lord. It was just, again, coming from the great unconscious. He wasn't conscious of it, and it really raises the issue also about copyright law itself and whether it adequately addresses uh, the creative process. But anyway, interesting question. Um, no, I mean, I, it's, it's going back to kind of the title of what this panel is, right? Life-changing songs and a bit of a tangent, but you know, we, when we, we tend to set the bar really high when we talk about AI in, in, in composition, where we think of the Beatles or Beethoven or you know, what is a life public enemy, a life-changing song, life-changing lyrics. But there's a, like the Band Lab song we just heard was great. Is that a life-changing song, right? A human was involved in that. For some people it might be, for some people it's not. It's so subjective. I have a six-month-old six daughter, daughter. Baby Shark is a life-changing song for her. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's been a life-changing song for me in other ways. But like an AI could probably make that. It's a life-changing song. So it is, there's such a spectrum of music and the way people respond to music that I think sometimes we, we like to think what's so personal and life-changing to us without necessarily understanding kind of the broader yeah, impact of music on other right. people. Right. And I, I don't know if anyone had a chance to see Robbie Krieger, a great, great show. I, I represent John Densmore, the drummer of The Doors. And we were going to take The, the Doors uh, lyrics. We actually did, and we used a, uh, one of the avail publicly available apps out there to p give it the lyrics, and it spit out a song. But it was so bad that I didn't even, I don't think it's even AI, actually. The, some of these programs out there, they haven't gotten to it yet. But uh, here's an interesting clip. I think we're going to sort of, Ended and then, are there going to be many people with questions? Anyone raise their hand that might have a question? One question. Oh, two, three, four. So then we have time. We can have some questions there. But here's a, a, a something interesting. Jim Morrison, the, the clairvoyant lizard king. Um, and maybe you've seen this before, but check it out. The new um, generation's music will be... Um It'll talking have, about next generation. Uh, a synthesis of those two elements and some third thing that'll be entire. Maybe it'll be. Uh, it might rely uh, heavily on uh, uh, electronics, uh, tapes. I can kind of envision maybe um, one person with a, uh, a lot of machines, tapes, and electronic setups. Uh, uh, singing or speaking and, and using machines. And, you know, of course, uh, EDM, but also I think he's talking about AI, it seems like. Um, do you want to address that, anybody? Um, or should we go to questions? Go ahead. I would say it's always funny to see that uh, generally all the public, the media, everybody is tend to be very scared about AI. But when you actually talk to artists, they want AI, they want to understand, and they want to see how it can enhance their creativity. And it's actually working. That's why I'm really super positive about AI, because actually, and thanks to Ben Lab, Lender, uh, we are doing tools to help people to make music. The barrier to entry to, to make music is so difficult. You have to so much technical expertise. And I'm not talking about creativity. I'm talking about technical expertise. And AI is perfect for that because it can learn much faster than any humans. It can listen to much more music than it can do any human. And it can find patterns and can, it can help you do all the technical stuff and to explore new possibilities. And the artists are telling me now with whom we are working, it's like they're really wondering how artists will be creative tomorrow because they will have much more time to be creative because they spend so much time actually working on the songs on a technical aspect. On a, and so the artists tell us, it's, I really wonder how they're going to be creative because they will have so much more time to be creative. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to think about a world where I'm not going to get lost in the sauce browsing through endless samples or fine-tuning a kick drum, and I can just get to the meat of what makes a song a song for me. But again, there's a lot of people who, and I used to be one of these people who really didn't want that type of stuff because like, no, I had to walk you know, 10 miles in the snow to engineer my kick drum, and you should too, and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. And I remember back in the day, like, not even back in the day, but maybe 13 years ago or something, I was teaching a class and Waves, this isn't even an AI thing, but Waves released a one-knob plugin. if anybody's an audio engineer or producer, literally just a knob that you turn that accomplished a certain goal, right, that normally maybe you would have to have a, a proper compressor and EQ, and we all laughed at it, and that's so silly, and that's, you know, it's for the kids and not for <coughs> professional engineers, and now I build a lot of that technology, but 
in my journey since being super skeptical about that, I really have you know embraced the idea that yeah, I mean we. We want more people making music. You want to make it easier for everybody, including myself, right, to be more efficient so that you can create more music. It's, it's, you know, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be gearheads and you're not going to have people who really want to deep dive complicated things. I'm one of those people, but I don't always want to do that. And I want to be supportive of, you know, younger generations coming in when they have so many other options besides music creation, whether it's building, you know, games and merch and Roblox or it's pick your thing, right? So music, we have to kind of look at photography Look at videography and Instagram and TikTok. Like, is music, we have to kind of adopt some of these tool sets too. And we tend to be one of the last uh, kind of, you know, verticals in the entertainment industry to adopt new technology because we do fetishize the past sometimes a little bit too much, I, my opinion. But, um, but yeah, it's cool to see some of this stuff come along, but we do need smart people shepherding it. So it, it does go in the direction that I think is going to be supportive for the most people instead of replacing them. So we're going to be unlike most of the panels here and give plenty of time for questions and uh, ask anybody that has a question to come up to the mic now. And um, okay, say tell us your name and what you do, please. Yeah. Uh, my name is Tommy Teasdale. I play in a band, and uh, yeah, I'm from Canada. Um, I have like a ton of questions, so I'm going to try to you know <laughs> just do it into one. We're but, also going to be outside afterwards, so yeah, we, okay, we want awesome. to get to everybody. So um, just pick your best. Yeah, person. yeah. So I do think that uh, great music comes from great pain. And although right now we can't imagine AI replacing humans uh, completely in the music industry, like there will be a time in the probably near future that I think it will um, because there's unintended consequences to all of this. And although I'm not against um, technology or anything like that, but, you know, there there are unintended consequences. And the question I want to ask is, do you think that using AI to help us with our creativity will soften our creative muscle and how humans will try to balance that? Anybody want to tackle that? I mean, I think it's a really good point. It's sure. I think it has the potential to do that, right? It depends on how, it, like anything, right? It's a tool, like Herbie Hancock was saying. It depends on on how you use it. And I agree that you know, great art, great pain, great art, right? Mm -hmm. There's a correlation between t those two things. But there's a lot of music out there that's not so great, right? It's people kind of on their journey. I always use the example. I'm a guitar player, right? So blues. People think like, if you want to be a great blues guitar player, you need to have struggled and done all this stuff. And then I go on YouTube and I see a ten-year-old kid who's tearing it up, you know. And I'm like, well, what, what is that, you know? So I agree, right? But there's all there's there's levels to everything, right? So totally. there's a variance. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. What's the next question? Can you say your name and what yeah, you do? Uh, name is Jamal, uh, product manager. Outside of the tools you build, what are some of the tools in the AI or automation space that each of you are using, or things that you are looking to that you find interesting? Thanks. In my everyday life, yeah. ChatGPT. I use it. I use it every day, not for being creative because I don't really believe that ChatGPT is a creative tool. It's uh, understanding the past and it can. So I use it when I want to make presentations or when I want to learn about a new subject. It's very, very, very relevant every day. Yeah, I use it too. I also use a lot of plugins <clears throat> that utilize machine learning and AI uh, to get me closer to an approximation of what the end result or master might sound like in my workflow. So I use a lot of um, tools from Isotope and some other uh, companies that help along the way. Yeah, and I'll, what, just one more thing to add to that. So yeah, Isotope stuff, great. Sonable stuff is great. Like on the composition side, inside the DAW, for years now, I've been using uh, either tools by um, mixed in key or, or producer suite, right? And that's a suite of plugins that all connect to each other in your DAW. And you've got drums, bass, melody, and chords. And if you change, you know, you can kind of like BandLab hit a die and it'll give you some ideas and then they will all configure to kind of go along with that. And if you change the bass line, the piano will change to match that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a good, great way to teach kind of arrangement when I teach college, but it's also a good way to generate ideas and kind of get outside of the box, which you've heard us say repeatedly. So yeah. that's another good one. I co-sign. I use the Captain Suite of Plugins yeah. as well. Great. Thank you for that. Hello. Um, sorry. Um, the pitfalls of being short. Um, I'm, I'm Stephanie. I'm actually a UX designer. I work on AI um, products. And um, my curiosity is about, so everything that you talked about today, all technology is up to AI. 
um, like you know the synthesizer, uh, the drum box, everything that you, so far as a listener, I can kind of tell that those things are being utilized as part of the song. Um, we'll we'll be able to tell the AI is being utilized as part of the song, and does that matter? So you're you're asking. Uh, whether you, you think in the future the AI is going to be more prevalent in the creation process? What is it exactly that you're well, asking? From, from a listener perspective, right? Like when I'm listening to a song, I, I like the, I appreciate a lot of the, all the, the, techn the technicality that goes into a song and the depth of like the sounds, right? Um, the drums and like if there is, uh, if, if there's strings, to, you know, on the song. So if there is AI, a, a part of that's building that's been part of, making up the song, will a user be able, a listener, will be able to tell well, that AI has been, been used know, you, and does it matter? Good question. If in Earlier, uh, before this started, I had a Turing test that yes. we were having fun with here. and We were playing uh, different styles, grunge, country, classical, opera, um, jazz, and we had said, is it, a, is it a robot or is it a human? And, uh, you know, most of the time people guessed it right. You know, there is something you can sort of, there are some giveaways. You know, like the country singer was singing in gibberish. That was a pretty good one. So yeah, I think your answer is, yeah, it'll be for a while anyway. But as Herbie Hancock said, yet. You know, mm -hmm. we don't know. So thank you for your question. There's also an interesting oh. distinction between what she said, because mentioning the synthesizer and the drum machine, those are technologies that are also instruments, whereas artificial intelligence is a technology that is a tool, right? So to what I think she was trying to say, um, it's fundamentally different in that you could listen to music that is assisted by AI and never know that it was a part of the process. Whereas if you listen to something that uses a synth, you would know that a synth yeah. made up the song. Yeah, and that's what Danny was saying this earlier. Like, 100%, we could all make a track right now and have AI incorporated in it. As long as we're kind of curated and guiding it, you would not know that AI was involved in it unless we start to generate vocals. That's the place right now to me that... that yeah, vocaloid, vocal generation stuff is still, you can still tell, right? It's not quite there yet. It will be in a few years, and Respeech or and other companies are doing a ridiculous work in that space. But, but yeah, so that's, that's the weak part to me still. Yes. Hi there, I'm Rob Price. I'm the CEO of School of Rock. We've got 60,000 students all around the world in 15 countries, and um, I'm wrestling with the question, how do we prepare these young artists with the tools to exploit this new technology. How much of it is saying, staying really true to the purpose and saying we're gonna teach basic musicianship, ear training, um, performance-based music education, playing together, live sound, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or how much of this is about the exploitation of tools that don't require that much proficiency? Um, and you know, you can create music without being a musician now, mm -hmm. technically. technically. So how do you reconcile that? Like, if you could put in an order mm -hmm. for what you'd like to be produced at School of Rock, what would it be? Well, first of all, I think we don't really need to worry about the next generation and how they're picking up the tools because they've already done it. 60%, greater than 60% of BandLab's audience is under the age of 24. Recently, I was speaking at a high school in Chicago. They invited, I'm also the president of the Chicago chapter of the Recording Academy. They invited the academy to come to the school and speak to the kids who are part of a four-year music program. So we're all going through introductions on the stage. I tell everyone I'm a DJ, I'm a producer. Normally, they get some oohs and ahs. They didn't care. And then I get to the part where I say, but I also work at BandLab. And I heard 200 kids collectively then start to talk amongst each other. They all were using it. So. They're already ahead of us, they're using the tools, and they already look at it as a part of their regular workflow. And I don't think that skipping a little part of the process necessarily means that they're not going to be invested in learning more. And we can look at some success stories at BandLab to point to that. There was a kid named David last year who started making music on BandLab because he was a gamer. He had no interest in making music, but he was putting up clips of himself playing on Fortnite and getting copyright strikes. So he was like, I need a solution. I need to make music. He found BandLab. Within four months, this kid gets signed to Interscope Records, and he has a breakthrough hit called Romantic Homicide, which has about a half a billion plays on Spotify alone, which is 
I think more about double of Beyonce's Break My Soul, and they were released at about the same time. And he's on a headlining tour right now. Um, he's got a full album in the works. Uh, and that was somebody where you could point to him and say he's not a musician. He had no interest in making music. And we, I think we've got to take away some of the preciousness around some of this and just allow people to be creative and allow them to explore the tools and allow them to choose the path that they want. Excellent. Yeah, I completely agree. But it also doesn't mean that, that musicianship is not super important, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's the, you are better equipped to use a lot of these tools, I think, if you do come with a musical ear and some training, at least for now, right? It certainly doesn't hurt, right? I mean, where we're getting, and I use this phrase all the time, is you know, curation is creation. That's where a lot of this mm -hmm. stuff is heading, right? Where you really, like, much like a DJ, right? If your ability, if you, as long as you know what you like, mm -hmm and you have things in front of you, whether you created them themselves, you're a guitar player, or you ask an AI to generate it, your, your, your input, a lot of that is gonna be on the curation side of things. But no, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, as a professor, my, a teacher myself, right? I teach a lot of kids maybe, you know, in the 18 to 25, thousands of them. We've got 100 students right now. <coughs> um, they use this stuff all the time, right? And they're, they're all in school for music, right? They're all studying an instrument. They're all also studying to be audio engineers, and they love it. And AI is so broad, right? Not to, I'm not gonna go down the rabbit hole on this, but we, we've been talking about the, the kind of compositional side of AI, or mastering, or mixing, but there's, you know, source separation is AI. A lot of my students break apart their favorite songs by using Moises or Audio Shake, so they can hear the drums, they can hear the guitar, they can learn better, and there's a lot of that stuff. I mean, I, dude, I just did the, the, the uh, YG, Ty Dollar Sign, Fast and the Furious theme, right? That's all done with generous source separation AI. The only reason we be able to do that is if I could break it apart, mix it in Dolby Atmos, and like, there's so much other stuff you can do with this you know, that, that I think it feeds into the educational side of things as well, rambling aside. That's great, thank, thank you. you. Hello there, my name is Joe Dreams, and I believe in using the power of hip hop to inspire people to live their dreams. I thought you were Harry Styles for a second. <laughs> Thank you. As it was. You think Danny would be the hairstylist? One thing, we, we only have a couple minutes, so okay, we try to get so through everybody. Would it be possible to record a few phrases like Siri and for your kids or grandkids to be able to make songs with your personality and sound authentic, not like a robot, after you die? Just say one, one thing I would say is that a lot of uh, the, the popularity of songs, like Jim Morrison, for example, is the backstory. People want to know like the personality behind the music as well, and that's a huge part of it, uh, I think. But let, let you guys... Have you seen the David Guetta and Eminem uh, using AI? I'm sorry, what? what? Eminem, uh, David Guetta, the producer, David David Guetta, Guetta with uh, Eminem. With that, Eminem. That, I've, you see yeah, I've heard video? of him before. It's incredible what he did. Like He reused Eminem's voice. So now you have all the legal and ethical questions about the fact that can he do that? But it brought AI to the masses, and it's exactly what you're talking about. So it's it's possible. So therefore, do you believe that record labels should restructure the way they create contracts with artists? Definitely, they are. Record labels are the ones investing in a lot of this technology. By the way, just so everybody knows, they're not. It's not old school where they're scared of new technology or streaming. No, they're like on board for this stuff. Like they are have been with Web3 to some degree too. So yeah, they're behind some of this stuff. So yeah, and it does, like the, the likeness, the, the, the voice, all that type of stuff that we associate with artists, whether it's a digital avatar of that artist or it's a recreation digitally of their voice, yeah, it's totally a thing. So to answer your question, absolutely, you can do that. Great question, thanks. Yeah. And it's, it's frightening to think about, but we've also got to look at, the, look at this going forward as how do we ethically do it? And it's, Right? It's got to be an opt-in experience and not an opt-out experience. And if we embrace it, there is totally the possibility for artists to unlock new revenue streams for themselves in the future. Um, if a data set was trained on their catalog and then somebody makes a song and it was based upon that data set and then maybe you get a payment from it. There, there's a whole variety of, of ways uh, where this can actually open up exciting new creative possibilities, but also monetary possibilities for artists. And also just allowing artists to gauge, engage with fans in a more personal way that would be literally be impossible at any scale otherwise, right? So that it's, it's yeah, financially amazing, but also brand-wise, this can be something that's beneficial for fan and artists. 
So I think we have time for one more question, and then we'll be available outside if you if you like to talk to us. So. Hey, my name is Simon. I'm from Master Channel. Uh, we also do AI mastering and soon some spatial stuff. My question is more uh, a philosophical one, I guess, or important for artists. We've talked a lot about the workflow and lowering the entry barriers for artists. And if we talk about people like, I think his name was David that you mentioned, who's very successful now. Artists in the next five to 10 years, what do you think, what personality do they have to bring to the table or what type of artist do they have to be to be successful if now we have this huge new wave of people who all have access to these technologies? What do you think are the new traits that we look for in artists and musicians? I would I mean, say that if everybody has access to the same technology, uh, you will have to go even higher in your creativity and the fact that you have these tools, you'll need to go into the radios and like already today there are so many songs that are so cool that nobody listens to that should be in their charts but music and a single is not just about music it's about identity it's about talking to your community and i think that the audio only itself um, doesn't represent uh, or you can't analyze the success of the song by just looking at what it's in the song there's so much other stuff to to analyze and to work on yeah and i i, I agree with that and i say this all the time like once we're to the point where everybody in this room can hit a button on their phone and generate a track in X genre that sounds pretty decent, what, is that, what do we then want to listen to as people who love music, right? I want to listen to something that I can't do. I personally, I appreciate music where I'm like, damn, that's impressive. That's something that I wouldn't have been able to do. And it'll be interesting to see where this type of technology pushes music and genres and, and people being, you know, they're trying to think outside of the box when that box is then pretty expanded, right, and all of us are creators. So I don't know, have an answer to it necessarily. But I, you know, I think taste ultimately is what makes an artist, right, whether they're proficient in an instrument or not. And um, yeah, I know it's going to be interesting next okay. couple years. Great. I just want to uh, thank you guys. And uh, we will uh, appreciate your coming out. Great panel. And uh, unfortunately, the sound doesn't work here. But uh, there you go. <laughs> Okay, thanks so much.